Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to talk about assessing the true source of love and justice, as well as exposing the true motives of those who claim to be committed to neighborly love and social justice apart from God. So Aaron, can you give the listeners a fuller introduction to this topic and maybe explain why we think this is so important right now? It's very, very common in our culture to hear people talk about social justice and to champion causes that are considered just. We have people that want to see a reduction in discrimination, in racism, in bullying. And when you hear the media and politicians and educators constantly pushing for greater equity and equality and justice and speaking out against discrimination, it gets you thinking, man, maybe people are kind of committed to goodness. Maybe people are innately good. Maybe there is a progression of moral virtues taking place in our country, in our culture. Maybe society is improving. And on top of that, we have many Christians and churches that are quick to hitch their wagons to whatever horse is walking by promoting a particular cause. So whether it's a BLM rally or it is ending the Ukraine war or it is putting an end to black-white racism or staying home to stay safe or even donating to charities at the cash register, which is pretty common. You go to a lot of chain stores now and you're you're asked, hey, do you want to donate a dollar or two dollars to such and such? or speaking out against the residential school systems, or speaking out against schoolyard bullying, or promoting anti-hate in culture, on and on and on and on. Gender rights, minority rights, gay rights, my body, my choice rights. There's a whole lot of rhetoric in our culture that is founded on the premise that people want to do good, that people want to see a more equitable culture. And I want us to wrestle with the question, what is the actual motive behind people's desire to see a better society? What is the actual motive behind this supposed effort to decrease discrimination and increase neighborly love in culture? We hear a lot of this rhetoric from the media, from universities, from politicians. They jump at the chance to support these various causes. And again, as I've mentioned already, many Christians do as well. In fact, some Christian, quote unquote, Christian groups are even flying the gay flag. And you're like, what in the world are you doing flying the gay flag? Well, we, we, we want to support equality. They use more language to yep. justify their cause. Why are you wearing that orange Every Child Matters t-shirt? Well, because we're speaking out against the residential school system. Why are you putting a wooden yoke around your neck as a white person and apologizing in public to 
black people, well, because we speak out against social and racial inequality. Why are you a proponent of CRT? Well, because of all the injustices that have been done to blacks by white colonists over the years. And it almost sounds kind of moral. It's like, well, maybe I should be part of this as well. Mm -hmm. But we need to understand that there is a nefarious intent here, and we shouldn't be so quick to give credit to do-gooders in culture that don't actually know God. And we're going to base our that claim, that statement on Scripture today. Mm-hmm. So some of these causes are clearly, truly, and biblically unjust causes, or, or they're, they're blatantly sinful, we could say, right? So we think of things like uh, the gay movement, but some of them, why, like, why should we be wary of everything that the culture is championing in the name of love and justice? Maybe some of it is actually biblically unjust. Yeah. So some of the some of the reasons are more based on cultural observations, and then I want to really take us into several scriptural passages that should cause us to be very wary of unregenerate people that are trying to engage in charitable acts or supposed social justice acts or who are promoting love and culture. But before we get there, one of the things we should probably do is consider the source. So the the big mouths, mm-hmm. the, the spokesmen, the spokespeople who are talking about social justice a lot are primarily the special interest groups, politicians who have been co-opted by the special interest groups and who know they can score political points for, for standing with these various causes, and universities. Well, politicians uh, historically have been one of the least trusted groups in our society, and especially over the last couple of years, as we've seen their behavior and antics, those of us that are maybe naturally a bit more trusting and maybe want to give people the benefit of the doubt, I don't think we can do that anymore. We've seen many situations where politicians have actually stood for a cause that is supposedly based on love and justice while discriminating against another group. So when they, it's like they, they, stick their finger in their mouth, they, in their mouth, they get it wet, they hold it in the air, mm-hmm. they try to determine which way the wind's blowing, and they march in the BLM rally. So we saw this in our own city where, I've said this several times in our podcast, where our own mayor and our own chief of police at the time broke the Ontario Reopening Act because it was the popular thing to do at the time to attend the BLM rallies which were presenting themselves as in opposition to black racism. And I think there are some people that attended those that legitimately were there for that reason. But when you actually go to the BLM organization's website, you realize they're fundamentally about the dismemberment of the nuclear family and their social Marxists, neo-Marxists. It's like, okay, this is not quite what they presented themselves to be. We uh, see city halls, municipal government offices flying the gay flag. If you walked in there and said, hey, we want to have a month dedicated to uh, acknowledging the historical contributions of Christians, or we want to have a month where we acknowledge the many Christians who've been martyred for their faith by tyrants, the city hall won't fly the Christian flag on the city hall flagpole, but they'll fly the gay flag because it's the popular thing to do. The... In our country, we have 
the liberal government, which is currently in power. We have the, the new Democratic Party, which is essentially socialist, bordering on communism. And we have what's called the Conservative Party of Canada. Those are kind of the big three parties on a federal level. And a, a lot of Christians are like, oh, we, we just got to get rid of the liberals to get the CPC party in because they're more moral. Well, not really. They might tap the brakes a little bit in terms of the cultural wars, but the new leader of the Conservative Party installed into his shadow cabinet, Melissa Lantzman. And Melissa Lantzman is a a lesbian, from what I understand, mm -hmm. who a couple years ago put out a tweet that shows a rainbow descending on the city of Toronto and blasphemously wrote, Happy Pride Toronto, signed God. So really, we, this is this is someone that I'm supposed to trust who's committed to justice and love mm -hmm. and a biblical ethic. No, she she's standing on one hand for... Anti, for the discrimination that many people who have not been vaccinated have experienced, but also standing for sodomy in culture and attributing that to God, like as if God sends the rainbow to bless sodomites, to bless homosexual unions, to bless transgenderism. There's a huge problem here with our politicians. They're not, they're not driven by true, pure, moral motives. Universities, my one daughter was at the University of Windsor and she got fed up with it. She was in the social work program. And I think it was week one where one of her professors announced that he was a neo-Marxist in class. He used that language. He wasn't, wasn't even hiding it. But these are the people that are championing the cause of you know anti-racism or championing social justice in culture, speaking out against bullying while at the same time advocating for an ideology that is completely opposed to the things of God, has absolutely no moral foundation to it whatsoever, denies the benefits and blessings that Western civilization has experienced from its historical Christian roots. But we're supposed to trust these people. So mm -hmm. even, even the media recently in the province of Alberta, they installed a new premier. And... This premier, yesterday, the day before, said, and I quote, the unvaxxed are the most discriminated group she's ever seen. She's right. Mm -hmm. in, in, our, in my lifetime, I've never seen more venom, more hatred, more discrimination levied against people who chose not to be vaccinated. Does that mean that the unvaxxed are the most discriminated group in the history of our nation? No. But in our lifetime, the venom, the rhetoric directed towards the unvaxxed, the Toronto Star posted an article some time ago of various quotes. You know, people were calling, some people were calling for the absence of medical care, the denial of medical care from people who weren't vaccinated, wishing they would just die. Mm-hmm people who've been tossed out of lifelong careers because they weren't jabbed, being called the fringe minority, being arrested for protesting, being charged exorbitant funds you would even charge a pedophile for because they spoke out against government tyranny. She's absolutely right. Objectively speaking, she's right. The unvaccinated are the most discriminated group in recent history. 
But what does the media do? Oh, she's not recognizing the historical challenges levied against the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, what, what planet are you living on? So the, we need to we need to consider the source and the people that are speaking out against injustices are corrupt and frankly chris they're also hypocritical mm-hmm. so you know how we I, I went through a list okay so we got you're you're a cool guy if you stand against the the ukraine russian war it's like the popular thing to do you're you're cool if you speak out against um, racism. You're cool if you donate a couple bucks at the cash register. You're a cool cat if you speak out against the residential school system and minority rights and bodily autonomy and all this sort of stuff. But God forbid if you speak out against discrimination against the unvaxxed. Mm-hmm. And look look at the other injustices that are taking place. There, There is a growing popularity to discriminate and practice racial prejudice against people with white skin. Now, I don't even like this white, black skin. We're all yep. different shades of brown, but I'm just using their language. Yep. White racism is completely in style. You can trash talk white people. You can trash talk people of European descent all you want, and all you're going to get is applause from the politicians, the media, and the university educators. They'll mm-hmm. stand with you on that. It's, it's in style. Mm-hmm. There's no n- little to no concern among the radical left for the murder of unborn children. They're not talking about that. 68 churches in the country of Canada were burned in June and July of 2021 when the, when the now falsified reports came out of Kamloops about the residential school burials. Where were, where were the social justice warriors when, when churches were being burned? Mm-hmm. When private property was being burned by various activists, nobody said a peep. Why is it acceptable to call conservatives misogynists whenever they say something you don't like? Where's the backlash against that? Where is the uh, backlash or the support for pro-charter people who are just simply trying to stand for their charter rights? Instead, they're called extremists, far, far right. You're far right if you actually believe in charter rights. You're far right. If you actually uh, stand for the values of preborn life, you're you're far right. You're an extremist. Mm-hmm. We we live in a culture where there's a lot of emphasis on minority rights. Unless you're a fringe minority, mm-hmm. so if you're an an ethnic minority, hey, we're, we'll we'll even set up. I think it was Trent University here in Ontario, a special lounge for non-whites to enter. So you can go, based upon your skin pigmentation, your ethnicity, Hmm. you can enter the lounge. But white people aren't allowed. But somehow that's acceptable in our culture. Like, it's so absurd. We have this radical hypocrisy. It's, It's okay to stand for these causes. Here's our list of things that make you super cool and culturally centrist. But if you stand for these causes... You're a lunatic, you're fringy, we'll arrest you, we'll throw you in jail. And then, of course, hatred for Christianity. The government loves to talk about, especially our supreme leader, our prime minister, Islamophobia. What about Christophobia? The guy just passed a bill last year, Bill C-4, 
that says, and I'm going to quote it again because people sometimes can have short memories, the conversion therapy bill, which is a bill that says you can't coercively try to change people from homosexual or transgender into heterosexuality. And in, in the process of describing this, it says, quote, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations. In other words, the Bible, the creational account of the Bible, historic biblical Christianity, and frankly, common sense and even science, are mythological. It's a myth to say that we prefer, to use our language, for people to be heterosexual because that's how God has designed us than homosexual. So it's not enough to promote uh, the quote-unquote equality of homosexuals and culture. We have to declare divergent viewpoints, which are the historically normative viewpoints, mythological. And then we have this whole discussion of colonialism. Oh, colonialism's bad. It's bad. It's bad. The colonialists, all they did is come. They, they, they brought their ships up to the shores of North America, and they just came in and burned and pillaged and raped and stole land and violated treaties, and it's, it's colonialism. It's all bad. Like, are you kidding me? Of course there were people that came from Europe because we live in a sinful world that did some terrible things to indigenous tribes. But colonialism as a whole has benefited, yeah, I'll say it, has benefited North American peoples. It was the Europeans that brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the shores of this continent Mm -hmm. that established civilizations, that brought an upswing in technology. So do we need to be for or against colonialism? I don't think so. We can look at it objectively and say there was much good and there was some evil in that. But not in our culture. Mm -hmm. The social justice warriors, they expect for you to denounce anything European, anything Christian, anything conservative, including fundamental freedoms and rights. And all of this is blanketed by this claim that they love their neighbor and they stand for justice. And Chris, here's what I'm going to say. The reason why they do it, and I'm going to prove this biblically, is because when you stand for these woke causes, you get applause for it. Yeah. Everyone wants to be the guy that's being discriminated against because then you'll get someone crying on your shoulder and sending you money and setting up lounges at the universities for you. You get public applause. You get broad affirmation. It's it's easy to be accepted when you stand for these causes. Look, what we're doing is the narrow road. It's difficult to speak out against transgender ideology, rampant homosexuality, fake racism. It's, it's difficult to speak out against those things because you will be attacked by the media. You'll be attacked by the politicians. You'll be attacked by leftist clergymen, you'll be attacked by the supposed experts, the university experts. You certainly won't be supported by the scientific establishment. The police aren't going to stand for you. The courts aren't going to stand for you. This is the hard road. If we're if we're interested in a popularity contest, we'd follow the woke agenda because it's popular. 
That's what people want. Yeah. So why do they stand for all this stuff? Why why does the mayor of Windsor fly the gay flag? Because people pat him on the back for it. Mm-hmm. It's easy. Why do people donate to uh, charities at the at the till, throw a buck or two in? Well, not only do they feel good about it, without recognizing there's people that give tens of thousands of dollars to, to their churches in a given year, they they get that public applause for it. The person behind them is like, wow, that person said, yes, they'll donate a buck. Mm-hmm. They'll donate two bucks. And then it works good for the, the corporations as well because they get to submit the money in their name to these to these charitable groups. Mm-hmm. Not they, they don't have to spend a dollar of their own money. They can just send your money in and they look charitable. Hey, I want to go to Lowe's, I want to go to Home Depot, I want to go to Walmart because you know if I go there, I get to support a good cause. This is all deep down. This is not motivated by love for people. This is not motivated by true justice, which is rooted in the character of God. This is motivated by a desire for public applause and broad affirmation. That's why people march in these rallies. That's why people stand for these woke causes. And the scriptures is very clear in that regard. Yeah. When you say all this, it makes me think of that saying people have that even a broken clock is right twice a day. So it's it's possible that they could hit on something that is actually a matter of true injustice and they're talking about it, but the motive for it, the reason isn't because they're keeping in step with true justice. It's just a fluke thing. It's because, oh, popular opinion actually lines up with an issue of justice at this moment, but it's not truly motivated. Good point. And we, we've spoken to get out against the residential school system, mm-hmm. and there's a reason for it. It's called spheres of authority. Mm-hmm. The state doesn't have authority over the education of your children, period. There's none of that authority. So it was wrong for the state to step in and forcibly educate indigenous children. But that's not the reason mm-hmm. why this is such a popular movement in our culture, because the very people that speak out against the injustices that indigenous people have experienced are pro-statist. They advocate for the state's control over all aspects of life. I mean, in the province of Quebec, they've effectively banned homeschooling because the all-benevolent, all-knowing, omniscient state apparently is better at educating your children than you are, mm-hmm. even though it's not their responsibility. It's not an, uh, an, an area of life assigned to them by God. But what I want to do now is I want to I want to look at some scriptures that this is going to be a bit depressing <laughs> if you if you have a high view of your human nature if you have an optimistic view of humanity that is a balloon that is going to be popped as you listen to these scripture passages which describe apart from God's regenerating work apart from the gift of being born again, apart from God's operative grace in your life, apart from all of that, this is what human beings are actually like. So I'm going to start off by reading Isaiah 64. These are teachings from God's word. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, verses 6 to 7, many people will know this passage, we have all become like one who is unclean and all, notice that comprehensive word, our righteous deeds. So you would think, pause for a moment, you would think if he's going to talk about righteous deeds, we get some meager credit for it. But no, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, literally, that refers to the language there is menstrual clause. I'm not 
trying to speak ill of female menstruation or make women feel bad about having to use menstrual cloths, but it is a graphic analogy. So our, God says, our righteous deeds, the things that we do, the loving expressions that we direct towards our neighbor, supposedly direct towards our neighbor, the justice that we supposedly stand for, the righteous things, the, 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 the two bucks that we donated at Lowe's last time we bought a two by four, all of these things, the money in the Christmas kettle, the attendance at the BLM, BLM rally, the wearing of the orange shirt, whatever it might be, all of your righteous deeds are in the eyes of God like filthy rags, like dirty menstrual claws. Imagine what our sin is, our non-righteous acts are like murder and greed and covetousness. So you get zero credit, zero credit for your righteous deeds because they are like a polluted garment. The text goes on to say, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. He goes on to say, there is no one. That literally means no one. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. It's an extremely bleak depiction of human depravity. Humans are totally depraved. Even the good we do is not meritorious. Even the good we do is not motivated by a true desire to love our neighbor and to stand for that which God considers just. Paul takes this a step further in the New Testament in Romans chapter 3. We know the first three chapters of Romans are a pretty bleak depiction of, of human nature before we get into the good news, which starts in chapter 4, essentially. But he says there in, in Romans 3, 10 and 11, none is righteous. Again, this is categorical language. It's not some. It's not a portion. It's not the really, really bad guys. It's every single person. It's the clergymen. It's the Mother Teresas. It's the charitable givers. It's those that claim to speak out against racism, claim to stand against the residential school system, claim to be in favor of freedoms and liberties. No one, he says, no one, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I mean, it's so crystal clear from various angles, using various words, he pounds this nail deep in his sermon, no one, no one does righteous. No one naturally seeks after God. We are rebels without a cause. There is no such thing as a seeker. God is the seeker. Humans are not seekers. We do not pursue the things of God. Even the good things we do are corrupted by right, unrighteous motives. Jeremiah 17, 9 Many have heard this too. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, so much for the whole follow your heart theology that we often hear. Follow your heart. Just listen to your heart. Folks, your heart will inevitably and necessarily lead you astray apart from the regener regenerating work of God in your life. I want to go on. I want to, I want to just emphasize this point. I want to back people into a corner that might in any way, shape, or form want to take even a tiny bit of credit for their salvation, for their goodness, for their charitable acts. Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. 
You don't even have to wait till you're 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, have graduated from university, have been married for five years. No, from day one, we have a bent away from God. Mm-hmm. In Reformed theology, we call this the doctrine of total depravity. It's unimaginable to me that all theological camps cannot acknowledge this. We are totally depraved. The Bible is crystal clear on that. Oh, but the Bible calls us to believe and seek. Yeah, we're doubly damned, though, because while we are called, repent, believe, seek, we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need grace. That's why grace is so sweet. It's so amazing. Someone should write a song about that. (laughs) Romans 7, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, Paul says. So he's regenerate at this point, but in his flesh, in in his natural man, it's like there's nothing good that dwells in me. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So time and time again in scripture, Chris, the Bible is just crystal clear that we do not have the capacity to do good. So whenever I see an unbeliever supporting a charitable cause, standing in the middle of the road with a a boot, asking for money at Christmas, shaking the Christmas kettle, marching in the 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 anti-racism parade whatever it might be i i just know that they're ultimately they might be doing something that on the surface is good and righteous but it's not motivated by godly righteousness john 3:19 says and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil so this paints an incredibly bleak picture of human nature apart from God's regenerating grace and grace operating in our lives. Mm -hmm. So people need to hear that, that every cause is ultimately, apart from God's grace, is ultimately motivated by sin. You don't get credit to the tune of the weight of an eyelash in, in merit from God for supposedly standing for love for your neighbor or supposedly standing for social justice causes. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with all that? Well, that's bad news, right? But the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is we do, we were created by a God who is incredibly gracious and he is pursuing us. This is not just New Testament theology. Jeremiah said, this is a prophecy in Jeremiah 32, 39 about God's plans for redemption. He said, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And in Ezekiel 11, again, he says, and I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone. That's what we naturally have, we have a heart of stone. stone. A stone will take us down. A stone is cold. A stone is unfeeling. A stone is without sensitivity. That's how the Bible describes our hearts until they're regenerated. But God promises to remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Notice that they may. Without God giving us a heart of flesh, we will not be able to do that. But when God gives us a heart of flesh, we can now keep his rules and obey them. Do we get the credit for that? No, none of it. It's God's grace operating in us. 
He goes on to say that they will be my people and I will be their God. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Listen to this, Chris. He has caused us. He has caused. That's a powerful word. He is the cause. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the dead. This is, it's such bad theology when people teach, you know, you're all sort of spiritually neutral. You just need to reach out and receive. You just reach out and accept. Just, you know, you make the choice. Look, yeah, we're, we're engaged. Our minds are working. We're hearing the gospel preached. But behind the scenes, we learn as we study scripture, God is operating in our lives. It's God that enables us to believe because in and of ourselves, we have hearts of stone. In and of ourselves, we do not seek God. We do not long for the things of God. We do not go after the things of God. Uh, Even the good things we do are like filthy menstrual claws to God. We get no credit for them. And yet God, by his grace, seeks us out. And when we submit ourselves to God, uh, even as Christians, so this is really important. God regenerates us. God initiates our salvation. God makes us new. We are spiritually rebirthed through the grace of God. But we always, day by day, have to continue to surrender to that and allow his grace to operate in us. Because you can be regenerated and on a given day living in the flesh, mm-hmm. not walking in the spirit. So through obedience and ongoing submission to the word of God, which we are enabled to do by God's spirit, we submit ourselves to God and we allow his grace, grace to operate more fully in our lives and we are sanctified. So let's stop giving godless unregenerate people any credit for their righteousness. Let's stop believing that they're actually motivated by a genuine desire to see righteousness and equality in culture. Let's stop believing that they're actually interested in liberty and rights or actually interested in ending racism. They're doing these things. They're promoting these causes because they get cred for it mm-hmm. because it's the popular thing to do. Because people will applause you for it, because you can get elected to office for it, because you can get money from the government for it, because you can sit in a new cool lounge at Trent University because of it. Mm-hmm. And because if you follow these causes, the media will leave you alone and maybe even give you some cred. All of this stuff, all of these causes are motivated by unrighteousness to the core. And yet the Christian is motivated by true righteousness, which does not come from us, but comes from God. Yeah. Now, as you say that, the thing that comes to my mind is many Christians will listen to that and hear, um, well, maybe a a sense of conviction come upon them thinking, yeah, but I know unbelievers that seem to do more good than believers. What's that say about believers in terms of like objective, not that it's motivated properly, but that, you know, they seem to be more vocal for injustice. So it kind of, maybe it's a call to speak more up, but then the question of motive comes to play and would, should we just, you know, if we can't get motives right, should we just stop advocating sure. for justice and love in a culture? Or? Well, you can do the right things for the wrong reasons, which is the fundamentally what we're saying, that many of these causes they stand for may, I'm not, not all of them, you already mentioned mm-hmm. like the gay rights and stuff is ridiculous, mm-hmm. but a person could say, I don't, I don't agree with racism. Well, we could get all technical with them and say, well, there's not technically races, there's ethnoid, there's ethnicities, and right. there's not actually blacks and whites, there's just various shades of brown. But let's just use their categories. Well, what Christian would support the hatred 
expressed from one human being to another based upon their ethnicity or skin color. Of course we would denounce that. Mm -hmm. Of course we would denounce that. And we do denounce that. And we have denounced that. And in fact, it's Christians like Wilberforce who historically were used by God to bring an end to slavery. So give some credit to where credit is due. But in spite of the fact that you can have people that can be doing, quote unquote, the right things, the wrong reasons, Christians need to do the right things for the right reasons. And the difference is we are enabled to do that. We have the capacity. We have the resources. We have the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God to hold us accountable. We now have the capacity to do genuine righteous deeds because God's grace is operative in our lives and we've been regenerated by the Spirit of God. We also want to speak out against justice and love and culture because we're commanded to. Mm-hmm. Injustice, I should say. So if we're if there's injustice in culture, the prophets constantly called Israel to stand for the proverbial widow and orphan. So we stand for those that are victims of injustice because the word of God tells us to. We what we don't do is give credit to the unregenerate for that. We we are enabled to stand for true love because we actually have a basis, an authoritative basis to even define what love is. Here's the best the world can come up with. Love is love. <laughs> okay, what do you mean by that? Love is love. Yeah, but what do you mean by that? We say God is love. God has manifested his love to us through Christ. So we have an authoritative basis to define what love actually is, who is the source of love, what does love actually look like. Love does not look like two men getting married. That's not love. Mm -hmm. Love is a man and a woman committed to each other in a monogamous, lifelong covenant whereby the husband puts on display the love of Christ and his wife submits herself to her husband as the church lovingly submits itself respectfully to Christ. So we actually have a definition. This lame love is love stuff is meaningless drivel. We have a definition. We have an authoritative basis for justice. We can, we as Christians have the capacity to determine and define what justice actually is because we have the word of God, which tells us what justice and injustice looks like. The world is fickle. I mean, one one moment they're telling us it's unjust to discriminate against a minority group, but on the other hand, if you're a minority group that disagrees with the government, then you're the fringe minority and we should arrest you and send the RCMP in and the police in to run you over with their horses. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a fickle justice. Mm-hmm. It's not a consistent justice. But with, with a biblical ethic, we have the capacity for a consistent form of justice. So the, the church needs to lead the charge on justice and love. We want to see evil restrained by good laws. We want to see evil reduced by good laws. We want to see structures put in society, including an acknowledgement of different spheres of authority including a Christian basis to law, because apart from God's law, you don't even have viable law. We want to see that in culture, not because we think that's going to fix everything, but to restrain evil. Of course we want to restrain evil. But what we're not going to do is take our cue from people that hate God, who continue to rebel against God, and who the word of God says are corrupt to the core. Even the good things they do are corrupted by evil desires. So 
I, I think it's wise to just ignore their moral thrashings. You know what mm-hmm. I mean by that? Like yeah. they're just constantly trying to cancel us. So as soon as you speak out against any of their causes, they just, they go crazy on you and they try to thrash you with their own, uh, you know, morality. Mm-hmm. If you protest, you're an anarchist. Mm-hmm. If the premier of Alberta says, unvax people, the most discriminated group she's ever seen. Oh, that means you must hate indigenous people. They, they try to, they try to cancel you. They try to to put you in a corner. They borrow moral language that which they don't even have the capacity to define. Love is love. Mm-hmm. To try to morally thrash you, if you if you say actually we shouldn't discriminate against white people. Stop blaming white men for everything. Oh, you're a racist. You agree with slavery? See the game? Yeah. It's either you, or. Yeah. Right? If you say no, homosexuality is a sin. Transgenderism is a sin. Oh, you're transphobic. Oh no, I don't want to be called phobic of anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're homophobic. Oh, you're Islamophobic. They borrow moral language and they try to morally thrash you with it. And it's all a tactic. Man, they even call people misogynists who are women. You have women speaking out against government tyranny and they're part of the misogynistic fringe minority. <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It, it, people often buckle and bow to that. So if you resist them, they love to throw these these titles at you, which presuppose a moral authoritative base when they don't even have one. Mm-hmm. It's all hollow. It's all fake. And Chris, the unfortunate thing is so many churches and Christians just go along with this. We have Christians that are calling for churches that are resisting tyranny to submit to the state based on Rome, a fake, false notion of Romans 13 mm-hmm. and flying the gay flag at the same time and we have Christians that will at- actually attend gay marriages. And we have people that will speak out against racism in the areas it's popular, but not against, let's say, white racism. Well, we should mm-hmm. be challenging it all. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, don't care, I, don't, I don't care what people say. There's a lot, of, a lot of people say this isn't impossible. But in, in a certain respects, we should be colorblind. Why, why would... Why would we treat someone different based upon the color of their skin? But even in our culture, it's like, I don't really think about race, that you're racist. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't win because they're trying to trying to corner you. So we have to preach. We have to preach the, the depravity of humanity. We have to preach from our pulpits and in our small groups. Unregenerate man has no capacity for true neighborly love or justice apart from God's grace operating in their lives. We have to preach that. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. Yep. Unregenerate man has no capacity for true neighborly love or justice apart from the sovereign God of the universe's grace operating in our lives. We have no capacity that in any way, shape, or form we get credit for. So what what we discover, if you understand the Bible, when you hear all these wokists and these social justice warriors, including many supposed churches, seeking to elevate a particular cause, stand for neighborly love, stay home to keep your neighbor safe, do the right thing. Love is love, don't discriminate, don't bully. What we understand is that they're just trying to please men. They're trying to elevate their social status 
by aligning themselves with the individuals and institutions and culture that currently are the ones that will applaud you. Mm -hmm. And that includes the mainstream media, the university educators, and the politicians. They will love you to death if you stand for their fake love and fake justice causes. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty harsh critique against the, the fake love, the faith, fake justice, the, the improper motives of obviously unbelievers. Now, some might turn it on the table and accuse churches that have resisted lockdowns like ours of being driven by bad motives as well. Um, so how can we, the question I guess is maybe how can we ensure that our call for neighborly love and societal justice is aligned with God, that it's coming from pure motives and it's not self-interest, praise from our corner, that kind of thing. Sure. Well, it ultimately boils down to your motive. Are you doing it for God's glory or for yourself? Now, I'm just going to step out on a limb here and say that sometimes I do get bad vibes from pastors and churches that have spoken out against tyranny, and I kind of start to wonder, I wonder what their motive actually is. Every once in a while, you get this vibe that there may be a church or a Christian that's pro-liberty. I mean, I mean, we need liberty. We need freedom. We need our charter rights back. And you start to watch them and you're like, I think it's just because you're a little bit of an anarchist. You just kind of like to be rebellious. Or pastors that are perhaps a little bit belligerent or attention-seeking, and they're speaking out against this stuff because their podcast numbers just tripled. <laughs> right. Or their yeah. attendance doubled. Or... They're getting a lot of attention in the media, and so they're they're at everything and every opportunity they have to speak against wokeism or evil or tyranny. They're there, maybe not always because they are properly motivated. So even as Christians, we can be regenerate, but we may not be permitting God's grace to operate in our lives. We may be living in the flesh, so we do need to be ruthless in asking ourselves. Why do I do what I do? Is it because I, you know, I want to look really manly? Is it because I I kind of have a little bit of anarchy in my spirit? Is it because the media pays attention to me? Is it because I have sort of a a martyr complex? Is it because I have seen my church attendance increase? If those are our motives, we should all just say yuck. Mm -hmm. So make sure that if you're a Christian, that you are thinking about what motivates you and, and is there any grandstanding or pride that may be there that is not glorifying and honoring God. So there, there may, I want to acknowledge that because there may be a little bit of that in all of us or some of us, and we want to make sure that if that's true that we repent of that. But that aside, the reason why we defend, for instance, the authority of Christ over the ministry and worship of the church, or the reason why we defend God-given rights that God has bestowed upon people, the reason why we speak out against neo-paganism, the reason why we speak out against statist totalitarianism is because these ideologies defy the things of God. It would be easier for us just to comply and be silent. Mm-hmm. But we, we stand on principle because we want God's authority to rightly be acknowledged over all of life, 
and where God bestows authority to individuals or institutions, we want those that hold that authority to keep that authority in check and within the boundaries of God's laws, of God's word, of the principles that boundary authority and behavior. That That's why we speak out against tyranny, mm-hmm. because it's the right thing to do. Because when a government says, actually, we have the authority to unilaterally close your church, we're like, no, on principle, whether we are in war or plague or the Germans are sending a squadron of bombers over to blow up our city, you do not have the authority to regulate the ministry and worship of the Christian church. If you want to have a conversation with us, fine, but we're not going to give you, as godless people, authority over the ministry and worship of the church. Frankly, we don't trust you, Mm -hmm. and we have good reason not to trust you because you're not regenerate. Mm -hmm. God's grace is not operative in your life. So that's our motive. And we speak out for liberty, not just because we're you know pro-charterists or pro-constitutionalists, but because there are certain rights, as we call them, that have been endowed to us by God that the state doesn't have the right to take away. It's wrong to say this group of people can work and this group of people can't based upon a little chemical you had injected in your body. It's wrong to say that people can't exercise free speech to speak out against tyranny, and if they do, they're going to get run over by police horses or they're gonna get arrested, or they're gonna get fined hundreds of thousands of dollars, or they're gonna be trash-talked in the media and misrepresented, or called by the leader of their country, fringe minority, or uh, far-right extremists, or misogynists, or racists, or anarchists. This is is wrong. So we're motivated to uphold Mm -hmm. God's law, God's word, and God's authority. And if that is our true motive, then we're we're on uh, on solid ground. Mm-hmm. What would be the final word? Kind of some tactics you've used. Like I, I'm just thinking when you go in to make a decision because you get the idea of we don't want to be motivated by people pleasing to the government. We also don't want to be motivated by people pleasing to our church. And the verse of preaching the word in season and out of season to me is kind of an idea where you could probably test your motives by do you have a consistent track record of when there's applause and when there's not applause that kind of thing. But can you think of any other things that might help somebody to maybe discern their motives? Because it's a hard question. Like it's easy to ask the question, but then how do you actually test and see, is that my motive? Sure. Well, first of all, you should do the right thing regardless. Your motives may not always be pure, but you should still do the right thing as a Christian. Sometimes your motives are kept in check by your actions. So when you do the right thing over and over again, it can subdue Mm. your motives. Because you start to, God blesses that, and you start to see the the practicality of that and the fruitfulness of that. So I don't think any of us can ever say, you know, we're fully redeemed, we're fully sanctified right now. You know, everything we do is absolutely pure motivated, but we purely motivated. I, I do think you mentioned track record. I think that's important. The longer we walk with Christ, the more time we've had to digest sermons and read the word and prayerfully seek God. And as we're sensitized to the things of God and also aware of the things of evil, we become increasingly aware of patterns of behavior in our lives that may not be aligned with God's word. And that helps us to to make correctives and to repent of things that are wrong. Accountability is really important. You know, I want my wife, I want godly men like yourself to speak into my life if they might get some vibes that I'm not properly motivated by um, by righteousness. And then, of course, just our prayer lives, opening mm. ourselves up and allowing God 
as we pray, Lord, like reveal in me the sin that may be lingering, that maybe some ignorance I have, some lack of discernment, some lack of discretion. Just reveal that to me. And God will honor that. As we're listening to, to sermons, as we're reading his word, as we're praying, God will increasingly reveal to us our false motives. Fortunately, he doesn't do it like all at once. Sanctification is not punctiliar. It doesn't just happen all at once. If we were made aware on the first day of our conversion of all of our sins and all of our intentions, man, talk about depressing. Over time, God reveals to us. He progressively sanctifies us. He makes us aware of our sin. And so we just walk with the Lord one day at a time. But you know what, Chris? The things we're talking about here are are so obvious. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really require a great deal of discernment to determine that Christ is Lord of all. And so if I make decisions that support a group of people that are trying to make Christ less than Lord of all, I'm sinning. If I make decisions that is seeking to advocate for the absolute supremacy of Christ over his church and over all of life, I think I'm on pretty good ground there. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's discernment and reflection and prayerfulness that's required, but there's also just raw obedience to that, which is extremely obvious in God's word. Mm -hmm. It's good. Well, hopefully this has given all of our listeners uh, some good food for thought. Definitely a sobering wake-up call to realize and call out fake injustice, fake love. Um, Another reminder to our listeners, as you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to it on some kind of platform where you can hopefully share it with others. Please do that as a means of getting the word out to more people. If you are listening on this platform and looking for an alternate platform, there's a couple that are good. There's the Leadership Now uh, right on the Pursuit of Glory website pastor aaron's blog there's also on the cjxc radio and then it is also found on the fight laugh feast app so please look in those spots download it share it and tune in next week to another episode of leadership now with dr aaron rock